0: In this world, there's two kinds of people, my friend. Those with loaded guns, and those who dig. Live from a Montana Wilderness Fortress, Wednesday nights at 9 Eastern, this is the Matt Christiansen Hour.
1: hello and welcome to the show my name is matt christensen and this is the matt christensen hour on tenet media thank you for tuning in i am joined as always by my producer down under tim good day tim
0: how's it going and happy new year
1: happy new year welcome to 2024 i cannot wait to see what the uh, new year has in store though i should be careful what i wish for given recent past precedent at the end of the show Remind me, I want to get your uh, 2024 prediction. Like, what's, what's the disaster going to be? I asked Taylor Hansen about that too. So I want to be on the record. I haven't even thought about my own prediction. I might save that for Sunday. But you got to have a prediction for what 2024 craziness is going to be. Lucky for you, you have almost an hour to think about it. So think of something good. Do you accept the challenge? Uh, I'll try. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks for the enthusiasm.
0: You assume uh, that I can multitask well enough to think and run and be part of the show at the same time.
1: That is, uh, I can are, try. Those are some of the requirements of the job. My yeah, mistake. Yeah, that's true. You're you're about to get claudine Gade if you keep talking like that. Anyway,
0: yeah, fair enough.
1: <laughs> uh, my guest tonight is reporter and fellow tenant media contributor Taylor Hanson. He's been down in the border region documenting all the insanity recently and just uh, learned through a whistleblower that the feds have been following, uh, following him in his air travels across the country after his reporting on January 6th. We will get right into that interview momentarily later in the show. As I mentioned, Claudine Gay, the embattled intersectional Harvard president, has now resigned, and it's either because of rampant racism and sexism and other forms of bigotry or... It turns out uh, perhaps she has a long history of plagiarism and was only selected in the first place uh, precisely because she is a diversity hire. So we'll examine the evidence, consider the options, and of course, enjoy the hilarious reactions. And of course, at the end of the show, we'll uh, read uh, an email question and uh, some of your super chats as well. But speaking of super chats, housekeeping item here. My sources say the monetization on tenants' YouTube channel is currently paused. I'm told that will be restored shortly, but for this week's show at least, that means we're not able to take any Super Chats on YouTube because there are no uh, Super Chats on the Tenant YouTube channel at the moment. Rumble is still good to go, though, so if you'd like to send us a uh, Super Chat for discussion at the end of the show tonight, Rumble is the place to do that. Rumble.com slash Tenant Media, if you're not already over there. And for those of you who prefer YouTube for your viewing and your Super Chatting, I trust the Super Chat will be restored shortly. I will make an announcement when it is, but we'll get right into the interview. Unfortunately, my guest, Taylor Hansen, did have a rough internet connection, so there are a few breaks in the discussion, a little bit of choppy audio, but I've cleaned them up as best I can. Thank you for bearing with those issues. Taylor is doing not only the hard work of going on scene in places like the southern border to get the real story, but... He's been putting in even more effort because it turns out the feds have been following his air travel since January 6th of 2021 as well. So we talk his fed overwatch and what's happening at the border. We'll see on the other side. Welcome back. I am pleased to host my guest for the evening. He is journalist, field reporter, fellow tenant, Media contributor, and at least in my personal opinion, the Yes! Chad meme personified, Taylor Hanson. Taylor, thanks for making time for me.
2: Of course. Thanks for having me, brother. I'm excited.
1: I want to get into what you've seen at the border in recent weeks, and specifically at the airports, because that strikes me as a major story that has all but disappeared. Nobody seems to care, and they have excuses for to explain away What what you saw in some of the video you captured, but we'll get to that in a minute, uh, because now it turns out the feds have been following you around for a couple of years through the airports after your coverage of January 6th. And you broke this story with some documentation to prove it just a few uh, days ago. What are the details on this?
2: So yeah, it's essentially an internal mission statement that I was sent uh, by a whistleblower. And I already, before this, had kind of suspected and knew, okay, the feds are following me. You know, At least a few air marshals are following me at a time. I was listed as, they call it the quad S list, which is essentially, you're designated as a 102 security threat. So it's the highest security threat that you can possibly be. Uh, They're calling you a domestic terrorist and being able to still fly. So it's the thing under the no fly list. And I was sent this document by an internal whistleblower, thankfully basically confirming everything that I thought. I was followed on 16 different flights by three air marshals each, so totaling 48 air marshals over a two-year time span. And that equates to, I would say, a little bit over $100,000, and that's not including operational costs, lodging, or any of the other costs that actually go into planning this or basically compensating these air marshals. So they spent over $100,000 following a reporter. And in the document, it's funny, you can see the occupation label. And they left it blank. So they did this for the sake of the air marshals not starting to question, hey, why are we following this guy around, documenting every time he goes to the bathroom for how long he goes to the bathroom, every text and call he makes, every single person that he talks to in the airport. And this is essentially made possible uh, due to the Patriot Act. It's called the Quiet Skies Program. It was founded in 2010 to allegedly, quote unquote, for uh you know domestic or international terrorist attacks which interestingly enough uh, it's never done that so in the all of its time of its creation it <laughs> has just not for done you, its but job for a single time and instead okay. not yeah exactly so not anybody you know it has never actually successfully done its job yet taxpayer money is being funneled into it now they're essentially just turning it into a large domestic spying program you know edward uh, snowden kind of blew the whistle Uh, a few years back on, you know, the international spying programs under the NSA. And this is just an attachment uh, to that same program, essentially. And, you know, another journalist, Brianna Morello, actually reached out to TSA to try and confirm the authenticity of this document. And of course, TSA, they said, hey, give us a few more days. Uh, You know, they asked for one extension and then they asked for another extension. And then she followed up and they just completely ghosted her. So, you know, I know it's real and it's just absurd the fact they listed violent tendencies on it. That's what got my attention when I first saw it. They said that I had resisted arrest and that I was violent, when in reality, that's completely fabricated. So they do something called rapid testing, and that's listed on the chart as well. And of course, it's negative. They're testing you for gunpowder residue, amongst other things, to make sure you're not you know, making bombs throughout this process. But yeah, that, that document was sent to me, and it was just, you know, people thought, you know, they asked me, hey, are you mad about this? And you know I'm not mad about it. I knew that it was already happening, but seeing the internal document actually just kind of vindicates what I've been saying for years.
1: Well, a couple of questions there. First of all, I see a long list of flights here without any domestic terrorist activity. So congratulations mm-hmm. on your restraint. But Thank under you. under the violent tendencies, so it says criminal history includes charges of resisting. That's plural charges. Have mm-hmm. you or have you not been charged with resisting a police officer?
2: I have never been charged with resisting a police officer. And it's funny that they say that because you see the picture in the top right of it. People thought it was a sketch, but it's actually a mugshot from when I was reporting on the ground in 2020 during the, uh, you know, BLM summer of love riots. I was in Portland, Oregon, and my arrest is on video. When I report amongst Antifa and BLM, I like to dress in black block because that's the only way you can actually get away with recording anything. And, you know, I was detained temporarily actually arrested and then the cops realized me as i was cuffing i said hey you know i work loosely with andy no and a few of these other reporters and they said hey you're already in cuffs if we uh, let you go right now in front of all these people they're going to start asking a lot of questions so i did go to jail temporarily but i think that's the the thing that the excuse that they're using but of course all the charges were dropped i never actually faced any legal repercussions but i did spend a night in jail with portland antifa and it's not
1: like there was some you you were never convicted of anything there wasn't some trial (laughs) or something like that okay You say that you knew this was going on. How did you know this was going on? Do you have like a Fed sense tingling or did they tell you to put your mask (laughs) back up? Or did you ever talk to any of these U.S. Marshals or whoever's trailing you?
2: Yeah. So they're not very discreet when they put you on this list. So the process, and I'll break it down as fast as possible for you because it's a very long process. You get to the airport about four to five hours early. Because that's how much security they actually make you go through they don't let you check in online like a regular american citizen you can't pick your seat anything of the sort you go up to the kiosk and then it redirects you to the actual kiosk with human beings behind it and you tell them your name you hand them your id you know give them your flight portfolio and immediately they'll pull your chart up and their eyes almost go wide because it's saying on their end hey this guy's a 102. He's a domestic terrorist. You need to call Homeland Security. So then they go through the process of calling Homeland Security, which can take anywhere between one to two and a half hours of them just sitting on the phone, kind of whispering, you know, right in front of you, and you're holding up the line and everybody's wondering, hey, why is this guy taking so long? This and is then, every uh, time you flew, once there you would get
1: be a, a check like this? Or just sometimes?
2: Every single time. Wow. No, every single time when you're on this list. So you're you're held up at the actual. You haven't even gone through security yet, and it's taken over two hours. And then finally, they'll print your uh, boarding pass, which has four S's on it. You're on the quad S list, and then you make your way to the actual security checkpoint, and that takes almost an additional two hours as well. They'll almost open up an entire line for you. They'll make you sit there, and they kind of just babysit you. You, and you as well have no drive idea at what's going point, on like when it this takes
1: that happens. long. Why even bother <laughs> yeah. with the airplane? <laughs> yeah.
2: Exactly. Yeah. You know, and that was my mindset behind it after uh, you know getting hit multiple times. And then they go through something called rapid testing that I had spoken on before. They do bomb swab on your hands, on the bottom of your feet. They do this multiple times. They tear your bag apart, bomb swab every single piece of clothing, your toothbrush, everything that you have in your bag. And then they have the bomb dog come up to you. You know, they do three walk-bys with the bomb dog. And then you finally get through security. And then after security, you have multiple TSA agents following you around the entire time and also three air marshals that you're not supposed to know about they're not very discreet at doing their job you know they'll be sitting at a cafe staring at you um or they'll just be sitting right next
1: to you, did they, to have, no to you? No did they ever talk to you did they was there but... ever any contact made uh, verbally
2: yeah. So after it's funny because there was actually contact made that I know a hundred percent was an air marshal. When you get on the plane, they do this whole process over again. So it takes another 30 minutes and they do it in front of everybody this time. So by the time you're on the plane, everyone's like, okay, I'm kind of nervous to fly with this guy. But I remember after that process on one of these flights, I go and I sit down and I'm in the very rear of the plane and this guy sits next to me and he immediately he just starts asking me about January 6th. And I was like, this guy doesn't know who I am because of my reporting. Right. <laughs> and, you know, of course he's asking all the fire questions of, Hey, did you steal anything? And he even referenced the Nancy Pelosi laptop. He's just dishing. Did you, dish bait left did you encourage right. violence that day? My God, Absolutely. You know what? I'm open. You know, I talked to everybody on the yeah. plane. I always would make jokes about it. Oh, Hey, this is the mess of terrorists on the plane. You better watch out. And I imagine they probably didn't like that very much, but yeah, he essentially sat down right next to me and started, basically questioning me Mm -hmm. and at that moment i knew i was like okay this guy's a federal air marshal so
1: (laughs) i on the uh, tsa documentation that you released they list you as a january 6th trespasser just so i understand the record Mm -hmm. you didn't have any january 6th charges of any kind did you you were there and obviously you were in close proximity to the babbitt shooting you didn't have any sort of legal repercussions to what happened on january 6th did you
2: no no i mean i'm a credentialed reporter but obviously that doesn't stop them we've seen this in the past of them actually charging reporters on the ground but they never pursued any legal charges i was harassed for two years by you know the fbi and tsa and the federal air marshals and even outside of the airport the harassment went on it got to a point of where i actually had to call my lawyer and say hey you need to contact the local field uh, office and the agent assigned to my case because my girlfriend was getting scared. She was getting followed when she was walking the dogs or when she was driving around the neighborhood
1: kind I mean, you walk out man. in the morning, they'll, they'll yeah, take down like the dog. Yeah,
2: yeah, exactly. So, and you know, me and her had a protocol. It got so bad. That it was like, okay, if we're raided, well, I'll close the door. You lock the dogs up because we know that, you know, the FBI loves shooting dogs. So we still have that protocol to this day, but yeah. It was worrisome for two years because, you know, I carry I, I uh, practice my Second Amendment right, as I believe right. everybody else should. And it's like, can I even reach for my gun in the middle of the night if my door is kicked down? Because is it a robber or is it the FBI? Well, you and saw that guy
1: that they got in Utah a few months ago. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you're aware of that story, but he, yeah. he, he posted what were they were distasteful pieces of commentary on the Internet. Granted, I I don't dispute the. The investigation itself necessarily but to be kicking down the door of an old man who can hardly walk and shoot him dead and leave his body out in the cul-de-sac for all the neighbor kids Mm -hmm. to see when they when they go to school the next morning it's not at all uh unreasonable to worry if you could end up in, in a similar situation and i would do the same thing i don't i mean i got a family to protect i don't know who's kicking down my door i'm gonna grab a tool with which to protect us and that could be a fatal choice for you so it's like what do you do damned if you do damned if you don't
2: yeah. And it's funny that you actually referenced that because you know that was in Provo, Utah. And I, I have my contacts within the government here in Utah. And you know I've been trying to obtain that body cam footage, which I can confirm they were wearing body cams on the scene, but they're hiding it. They're stonewalling every single elected representative that I'm trying to go through or every single contact. They don't want that body footage released. How do you, and it's how do you for know there from.
1: was? I was under the understanding that there wasn't because usually these feds don't, don't have them. But how do you know there was?
2: So it wasn't just the FBI on scene that day. You also had local law enforcement there. And yeah, there. so I, I have confirmation from the internal sources that they were wearing body cams when the shooting actually took place and when the dragging of his body and the displaying of his body for his community. And if you know anything about Utah, you know, it is a very tight knit community. A lot of people are LDS out here. The majority of them are. And this guy in, uh, in specific, he actually, I mean, he's handicapped, right? So he is essentially wheelchair bound and he would go around and he would help build handicap perhaps for yeah. local neighbors. And, you know, he was very involved in this community. So and then for them to display him like that, just essentially a show of force.
1: On the uh, marshals following you and the way that you've been interfered with at these airports, you've, you mentioned that maybe there's legal action that you can take. Do you have any legal options available to you or is this just it is what it is? You, I mean, they might follow you around again. You don't know.
2: Yeah, so I'm definitely looking into it. I've reached out to a few good attorneys about this, and a lot of them tend to kind of trend to the path of, hey, they're just going to hide behind national security issues, um, you know, and try and get it thrown out of court immediately. So it seems like there might not be a lot of legal issues I can take just because I mean, we've seen. Biden's DOJ. We've seen what they are allowed to do in this administration. I think I would probably have to wait until, you know, the next administration comes through and then I can actually try and file something. Um, but I, I do have high hopes that I can actually press charges or, you know, go for a civil lawsuit or something of the sorts, because I'm not the only one that this is happening to. I mean, thousands of average ordinary uh, Americans are on this list. It even goes as far as, you know, there was a pregnant woman that was in the Capitol on January 6th and her baby is now listed on the quad s list so you got a little <laughs> baby terrorist running yeah, yeah. around that they're worried about
1: wow uh doesn't surprise me though at least as much as it should you obtained this document from a whistleblower did this whistleblower give you any sense of how common this sort of thing may be were you treated with some sort of special extra attention or is this actually more normal than we may realize
2: Oh, it's very ordinary. Uh, You know, she says that there are quite literally thousands of ordinary Americans on this list. And to even add on to insult, uh, you know, I've confirmed that no BLM rioters, no Antifa rioters from the summer of love in 2020 have ever been placed on this list. So it is exclusively essentially what I would call political persecution. It's only right-wingers being put on this list. Uh, you know. And it goes, like I said earlier, so far as babies being put on this list. So you know, there are thousands of average, ordinary Americans sitting on this list right now, and they have no idea what they've done. They have no idea why they're designated a domestic terrorist. So this is the new normal, essentially, for at least the uh, right-wing uh, hemisphere.
1: I got to up my game, man. I'll, I get through TSA with just a simple ball grab. you know. They treat me... Very politely. I just get the frisk and I move on. Uh, but, okay, so you're you're getting, <laughs> your airport trip is maybe six hours longer than the average guy's. Have you tried becoming an illegal immigrant simply to get through the airport with much more efficiency? That is the, um, the reporting that I wanted to talk to you about as well because you're part of a handful of reporters I've seen down at these uh, border area airports who have seen what appear to be Uh, A large amount of migrants who have freshly crossed the border and have been given tickets to fly in various to various locations across the U.S. interior. Uh, Is that what it appears to be? Because I've seen a lot of doubters saying that's not at all what's going on.
2: Yeah, no, it's exactly what it appears to be. And it's even worse than, you know, what is documented, honestly. I mean, I I did the Phoenix uh, Sky Airport one and there were migrants absolutely everywhere. And you can always identify them by they carry these manila packets around, you know, essentially saying, I don't speak English. Help me, uh, you know, identify my flight, help me get to my gate. And then it has their documentation and it goes so far as sometimes these migrants literally have no name on their passport. So they they don't even know these people's names a large majority of the time. And, you know, I had spoken to a lot of these illegal migrants that are now being flown across the country into major cities. And most of them, you know, they have two to three uh, delays in between. So they'll stop at multiple airports along the way. And most of them don't even really understand why they're going to a certain location. And a lot of the times they're just being flown and then being taken to community centers by these NGOs that are funding the flights. And funding the transportation of them across mexico so it's definitely happening and even after my last pass in uh, my last uh, reporting trip in piedras negros mexico you know i was crossing the river with them there was a the mass detention unit uh, outside just the makeshift apprehension area because they were so overwhelmed records are being broken every single month now and i went to the local laredo airport which is a border town and it was insane when i walked in and that's putting it lightly of the people in that airport were all illegal immigrants. And I had gone around, I did a video there and, you know, I had pulled up to the airport. One of these women were projectile vomiting outside. So I was like, Oh, that makes me feel great that I'm about to most likely board a plane with these people. And I go in and I have the uh, gate rep from American airlines. Uh, He doesn't know I'm recording of course. And I'm talking to him and, you know, he essentially confirms to me that Yeah, there's more illegal immigrants flown out of this airport daily than there are americans i would when i was looking around there was only about 10 americans in that airport and then the hundreds of other people were all illegal immigrants and then to go even farther they have border patrol actually in the airport which is insane to me i've never seen this before because of how many illegal immigrants are coming through and they go through their own line they hand the uh, border patrol their documents and the border patrol essentially says you're good you know go to this gate and it's a very small airport you know, but I'm I walk up to the, one of these border patrol agents as well, and he also didn't realize I was recording. I said, Hey, you know, have any of these people been tested for tuberculosis or any of you know Jardia or any of these other diseases? And he flat out said, No, you know, not that he's aware of. I mean, and then at least at not this facility. So that's confirmation. We've seen yeah. this time and time again, that these people are not being tested for any disease, no health screenings whatsoever after they cross the Rio Grande into America. And then they are allowed to board flights with you and be flown into major cities. And it's funny because I actually board my plane. I'm in first class. I'm in the nicest seat you can be in. And I look to my left and there's three illegal immigrants with me in first class as well. And then I look back even farther and the woman that was projected vomiting earlier is sitting a few seats behind me. So I'm like, Oh, okay. This is great. This probably makes sense. Why I'm getting sick every single time I go to the airport. Now,
1: hopefully you didn't uh, catch the, the barf splatter, but I'm sure you got something. And it's not just the way that you're treated differently at TSA as well. I remember uh, a few years ago being on airplanes, not even a few years ago, maybe within the last year or two, and um, and we were all policing each other's mask wearing. Make sure that between bites the mask is on your face because it's going to magically stop everyone from getting sick. I remember eating the peanuts at the slowest pace possible just so I wouldn't have to put my mask up. And then comes you know the flight attendant to remind me that if I'm going to chew slowly, I need to put my mask up between bites. Now we have illegals vomiting, if not on the airplane immediately beforehand, and that is not so much of a health concern. Apparently, I've seen numbers out of New York City that tuberculosis uh, is on the rise. That there's something of a tuberculosis outbreak there, and I, uh, I I don't have a way to definitively demonstrate the cause, but I can connect dot A to dot B and say it might have something to do with all the uh, all the um, immigration heading that way. That's not been tested for such a thing, but man. Um, And I'm glad, I'm glad you mentioned too the documentation because I'm seeing you guys post these videos. And just as a layman observer, that is what it appears to be to me. This looks like groups of migrants that have crossed the border that are flying to wherever in the middle of the country. But, I'm trying to do my due diligence and see what people are saying as far as criticism or, or counterpoints. And it always came down to, Oh wow, look at these idiots. They're surprised to see foreigners at airports. Oh wow. Look at these idiots. They can't handle the sight of Brown people. So they must be racist. It's like, well, how, and your video is, is one of them that I, is one of the key pieces of evidence that I went to when we talked about this on my other stream, walking up to these, to these immigrants with your interpreter and asking them basic questions like, Hey, where'd you come from? Where are you going? How's your day type stuff and no knowledge of the journey that they're currently on. It's it's a mystery. We are following directions to get from somewhere to somewhere, but we don't really know. How many foreign vacationers do you know who have no idea where their destination is? That's not a thing you'd encounter. So I'm glad you got the the opportunity to speak with a lot of these people, too, because that was pretty definitive to me. Um, how how many did you get to actually speak with? Was it a lot of these people or just a handful of conversations? What was that like?
2: Yeah, so I mean I would say just in the Phoenix Airport alone, there was over forty people that we actually had interacted with on a regular basis. And then we asked them all the same questions. Where are you from? When did you get here? How did you get here? And where are you going? And you know, we actually have a video of a migrant literally committing immigration fraud and admitting to it. A lot of the times, the NGOs literally will coach them in Mexico, saying, "Hey, you need to say you're from a country that you are, you know, seeking political refuge because your life is in danger." And it's gotten to a point where they openly now admit that, "Hey, you know, we're economic migrants," which does not fit the asylum clause uh, for migrants to actually come into America legally. So. They're openly now saying, yeah, we're committing immigration fraud, but they don't care because there is actually no enforcement happening by uh, Biden's DHS and the DOJ here in this country. So under this administration, anybody is allowed to come in. And a lot of the times under my you know border reporting, even when I'm literally crossing the Rio Grande River with these migrants, they say, oh, the border isn't open. And it's like okay, if this isn't an open border, I don't know what is because apprehensions have been at an all-time high. We're shattering records every single month, but we talked to well over 40 people in the Phoenix airport. And then in Laredo, every single person practically in that airport was an illegal migrant. So they are, you know, this is happening. And I I like the comment of, oh, you never see Brown people because it's like, okay, dude, like they're holding Manila envelopes with their DHS packets in it stating well, that they are illegal immigrants.
1: And you guys are the ones actually at the border. Not, I can't, I can't characterize all the critics, but I'm going to guess that a lot of them are hundreds or even thousands of miles away from it. have no idea what's going on there. And I'd like to ask you just about, um, sort of uh, misunderstandings or things that surprise you about the border in a second. But one thing I, I want to clarify too, before we move on from this airport thing, I just, the biggest, um, question mark for me is who's driving this operation. I know that there are a lot of concerns and claims about perhaps these, um, these NGOs or nonprofits that these migrants have seen the documentation they're carrying from different nonprofits that are apparently booking their trips for them. Do you get the sense that it's the nonprofits doing this on their own accord or is it, there's some suspicion that perhaps the federal government is just funneling money through them, and maybe the federal government is the one driving this operation. Who's behind this from a, a giving direction standpoint? Who's running the show?
2: I mean, a lot of it. A lot of it is taxpayer money. So um, I would say the large majority of it is the federal government quite literally facilitating it through these nonprofit NGOs. And a lot of these NGOs, too, you see it all the time. They're not Catholic charities. Some of them actually are, uh, but a lot of them pose as Catholic charities for tax purposes so it's not just catholic charities doing this you have thousands of ngos across mexico and across the united states uh, but the large majority of it's essentially one huge money trafficking and not just money trafficking but human trafficking operation that's being allowed to happen and the government is emboldening it and you know i get asked all the time hey who's paying for this and like you are you are quite literally paying for what i would classify as a reporter as the invasion of your own country as the untapped allowing of illegal immigrants to come in at any cost and you know they're being Uh, given UN cards so they can make it through Mexico. They're quite literally being given money every single step of the way, even though, and it depends on, you know, a lot of the times the meeting point is in Tapachula. Uh, That's kind of where the migrants will form before they end up into America going on their caravans. And, you know, it goes as far as certain cartels now you can identify. They essentially manipulate them and extort them every single step of the way. But, you know, Sinaloa, a lot of the times, if you see a van, it's going to be Sinaloa. If you see a car or something, uh, you know, a train, then it's CDN cartels or other cartels. So it depends on which avenue they take. But something that's interesting and in adding on to the Chinese nationals and a lot of Europeans that come in, they actually disappear in Tapachula. So that's their meeting point. But and then all of a sudden they don't end up in these large caravans with the Venezuelans, the Hondurans, the Cubans and things of that sort. So the reason they disappear is they are quite literally getting special treatment because they have extra money. So, then they're put on a flight, whether it's to, you know, Tijuana or a closing neighboring country. Um, so they don't have to actually make that trip. You have all hotels, even in top of Chula and across Mexico that are literally a designated spot for Chinese nationals. And right now in Tijuana and, you know, more in that area, in the Arizona sector, you're seeing a lot. A few months ago, that the rate of Chinese nationals spiked. So every single nationality is treated different when it comes to actually crossing the border of America.
1: Hmm. Wow, yeah, you tend to think of it as just like uh, you know, it's it's the caravans from Central America or something. But uh, that that's one thing that I don't necessarily think about is is the degree to which uh, all sorts of nationals from all sorts of other countries are are using this potentially opportunistically. Uh, In a way that that makes our country vulnerable for sure. And I'm I'm curious if you could give me as someone I have no border experience. As you know, I live far away from the border. We get some of the problems up here because I 90 is obviously a major drug trafficking or other criminal trafficking route through the northern part of the country. But I have no idea what the border is like from a direct experience perspective. And if there's one thing that surprised you in your border experience or one misconception that you think people have about what the border is really like, what would that be?
2: I mean, I would just say, you know, what surprised me is how big of a mess it was. Uh, You know, a lot of the times you get the mainstream media shots from the American side. And, you know, it shows the apprehension sides. It shows sometimes, uh, you know, some crossings. Uh, you know, Bill Malusian's done a good job at kind of exposing the drone shot crossings. Uh, he's probably the one of the only people I would actually praise in mainstream media. But I would say the real story is on the Mexican side. And, you know, in mainstream media contracts, it is literally listed with a lot of these uh, reporters that they can't go into Mexico because it's too dangerous. But, you know, someone like me or Auden Cabello, who is just a citizen journalist that lives in Mexico now, you uh, I feel like that's where the real reporting is at, but you never hear about it. So when you cross into Mexico, that's where you have basically untapped access to these illegal migrants You have, you can access the NGO homes that they're living in, um, you know, the areas that they're being stored in before they actually march to the uh, portion of the Rio Grande River where they cross. So I would say that the real story is in Mexico, but you don't really see that on mainstream media because they're not allowed to go into Mexico because it's too dangerous for them.
1: Hmm. All right, well, in closing, uh, I'm going to give you an opportunity not just to be a great reporter, but a great psychic, because now that 2024 is here, I'm trying to gather predictions for what this insane this insane year to come will be. I remember 2020 sitting around with my co-host on my other show, and we had just finished the Trump impeachment, the first one, and we were wondering what the next thing would be, and it became uh, a crazy virus that redefined the rules of the entire election and changed the way that we lived In some ways, semi-permanently. So what do you think the 2024 thing is going to be? Is it going to be like aliens, super volcano, or the most outlandish idea of them all, which is a normal year that follows the rules and there's nothing odd about it at all?
2: Yeah, I can I can t- promise you that it definitely won't be a normal year. Uh, I think it's going to be a conglomeration of a lot of things, uh, one being that these migrants, I think, are going to have a play in what goes on in this 2024 election season. We've already seen in Maryland and a few other states, they're trying to get these illegal immigrants. Basically, they're, they're trying to allow them to vote. So that can obviously tip the scales in an unfair way people that aren't American citizens shouldn't be able to vote. But then you also have you know, us involved in multiple foreign wars that we shouldn't be right now, pissing multiple countries off, and now our border is wide open. So that kind of in itself creates a mess. We're allowing people that are, they call them special interest uh, migrants, countries that we should be completely denying them, not even allowing them in any situation access to our country, They're being allowed in. And there's reports of terror training camps in Mexico right across the border from us. There was a in New Mexico uh, that just went away. I think the Summer of Love will probably pop back up.
1: The the terrorist camp they just bouldered. Exactly. No, but I think it's going to be a
2: conglomeration.
1: Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, even in Houston, you quite literally have a new housing encampment built for hundreds of thousands of illegal immigrants to live in. Houses that are nicer than mine. Probably worse. Like it is insane what is being allowed to happen. But I think it's going to be a big combination of things. And I honestly would go as far as saying, you know, they will probably, there will probably be a, some sort of terrorist attack here on American soil, whether the FBI, you know, knows about it beforehand. We know that's kind of their thing, allowing these things to happen or even emboldening it to a sense. But I think you're going to have a mixture of, you know, unrest in the streets because we all know when Trump is in office or is running for office, it's okay to riot again. Uh, we've seen this time and time again. And then you'll have even a, the more sinister aspect of potential terrorist attacks on American soil. And, you know, we see the news articles prepping people for it. So I think uh, that's going to be the biggest thing that we have to say, you know, look forward to uh, coming <laughs> into this election.
1: That's one way to put it. Another is domestic terrorist predicts domestic terrorism in 2024. <laughs> I'm just trying to get the feds to follow me. That's all I'm trying to do with this show, man. I, I got to catch up, but uh, that is my guest, Taylor Hansen. You can find him and yours truly on Tenant Media, of course, YouTube, Rumble, and more. That's all at tenantmedia.com. Follow him on Twitter or X if you prefer at TaylorUSA. That's Taylor with an E, USA. Uh, Taylor, is there anywhere else you'd like me to direct people to follow your work?
2: Um, I think you got it down. I mean, I just recently published actually today we did a behind the scenes kind of a day in the life uh, video of what it is like being an actual border reporter and not these MSM hacks. So it goes through the process of us waking up in the morning, actually driving to the Mexico port of entry, walking in, meeting with our fixer and then actually being looking for the uh, you know drop site for these immigrants and then we cross with these immigrants as well. So you know if people want more insight to the situation, that's definitely a video that I would recommend and that's on Tenant Media.
1: Yep, up right now, YouTube, Rumble. I guess if you're here watching this stream, you're already on the channel, so go click Taylor's video. Uh, it is my pleasure to work together with you on the Tenant uh, Project. You're welcome on my show anytime you've got a story to break or anything else to discuss. And of course, thanks for making time for me.
2: Thanks for having me, brother.
1: Thanks again to my guest, Taylor Hansen. Follow him on X, or you know, as most of us call it Twitter, but X at Taylor USA. That's Taylor with an E, USA. And make sure to check out his latest video work on this uh, same channel, of course, Tenant Media. Tim, uh, you had a thought.
0: Yeah, one thing I want to bring up that I never see discussed uh, is refugee and asylum seeker. They're not the same thing and people need to remember that. Um, on a related note, refugees also are supposed to apply at a country, the, basically the nearest safe country. So if you've got someone, say, coming from Ukraine, they're not supposed to be applying for refugee status in the U.S. It means they had to travel over several countries to get to the U.S. to do that. So it's just a couple of points I think don't get discussed enough with the, the sort of com- conversation.
1: You're, you're talking rules. What makes you think rules apply to this scenario? What makes you think Sorry, rule but- of law is the premise here?
0: Yeah, I forgot about that. It's kind of the uh, Pirates of the Caribbean sort uh, of philosophy of their guidelines more than actual rules.
1: Pirates of the Caribbean is far safer and more entertaining. I would much prefer to see Captain Jack Sparrow flying around than whatever we're dealing with right now. Anyway, uh, yeah, thank you for the um, thank you for the thoughts on that. I want to get right into the story of the day, maybe the story of the week here, and that uh, is that yesterday it became official. Embattled Harvard President Claudine Gay resigned from that office after we finally learned uh, just exactly how much plagiarism is necessary to cancel out her intersectional qualifications. She is uh, a lesbian-looking black woman, but uh, my sources say that she is actually married to a man and has a child. So not as intersectional as I originally thought, not quite as diverse as she could be, but still pretty diverse. Of course, she's also faced strong scrutiny for refusing to say that calling for genocide on campus is always against the school's code of conduct. That in the context of the uh, college president hearing in the aftermath of the uh, Hamas attack on Israel on October 7th, of course. She has only been Harvard's president since July. So her tenure as president is actually the shortest in school history. Uh, Which is quite an achievement, considering Harvard is 150 years older than the country itself. It was founded in 1636, which I knew it was uh, an old school, but I did not know it was that old until earlier today. That is uh, an amazing historical fact. But her resignation is effective immediately. Alan Garber, who is currently Harvard's provost and chief academic officer, will replace her as interim president. Her resignation comes as the Washington Free Beacon published 40 more instances of alleged Claudine Gay plagiarism on Monday. Those examples follow Christopher Rufo identifying several instances of uh, plagiarism in, in Gay's Ph.D. thesis in December. So I will get to the specifics of the plagiarism in just a moment. But first, I just want to talk about the hilarious reporting desperately trying to cover for this woman's theft and dishonesty. And I can't decide who did it better. It is a race between CNN and the Associated Press and MSNBC for who twisted this story the best. And I'm going to eliminate MSNBC from the running right away because their entry is just less creative. It's mostly just the same racism, sexism, bigotry type explanation you'd expect. But uh, on the CNN reporting or on CNN reporting of the story yesterday, reporter Matt Egan said gay hasn't actually stolen anyone's ideas or content. She's just sloppy with attribution, as in she is sloppy with crediting work she's referencing or not uh, referencing at all. These plagiarism allegations
2: uh, where Claudine Gay has had to issue corrections, um, multiple corrections. now. We should note that um, Claudine Gay has not been accused of stealing anyone's ideas in any of her writings. Uh, she's been accused of sort of a, more like a copying uh, other people's writings without attribution. So it's been more sloppy a- attribution than stealing anyone's ideas.
1: It's not stealing. It's just copying without attribution. Well, what do you think plagiarism is, of course? It, 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 uh, she's not accused. Uh, another way of phrasing that. She's not accused of theft. She's just accused of grabbing things off the shelves and not paying on the way out. Now, I could believe sloppy attribution if it was once or twice. You write a paper, you forget to reference the the source of a quote, whatever. I mean, it can happen. As we'll get to, this is now dozens of times, much of which is actually in her doctoral thesis and published papers. These are not just, uh, you know, These are not papers she wrote as an undergrad or things she wrote a long time ago. These are things that were supposedly her qualifications to get the job as Harvard president in the first place. That's not accidental sloppiness or the occasional slip. That is a routine pattern of behavior. But the AP, the Associated Press, had the absolute best headline of this story. Now, you would think that the proper headline would be something like, Harvard's president resigns amid plagiarism scandal, something to that effect. But of course, the story can't be her misbehavior, so the story has to be some iteration of the classic line, Republicans pounds. The story is the people who are critical of her, even mean to her. So the AP originally went with, quote, Harvard president's resignation highlights new conservative weapon against colleges, plagiarism. Well, of course, by this logic, uh isn't plagiarism a college weapon against colleges as in any student caught plagiaring plagiarizing it's an uncommon word you know any student caught plagiarizing uh to the degree that claudine gay has that student is done that student is suspended that student is is maybe expelled that's the point claudine gay violated harvard's academic integrity standards That's why she can't stay. If anyone made it a weapon, it's Harvard, the institution themselves, who set the rules. These are not rules of some weaponization that were made up external uh, from the organization. These are the organization's own standards of integrity. So if you commit the crime, law enforcement against you is not a weapon. We call that justice in other contexts. Some editor at the Associated Press must have seen this absurdity and decided it was too far But, of course, they couldn't go all the way back to reasonable, so they they settled on a change for the headline that's only slightly ridiculous or halfway ridiculous compared to the first one. Now the headline is, Plagiarism charges downed Harvard's president. A conservative attack helped fan the outrage. The question, of course, is, was the conservative attack true? If it's just as valid to say the truth fanned the outrage? Well, maybe you should go with that. Is it just a conservative attack or are the facts actually supportive of the results in this case? You will also be shocked to learn that one of the authors of this AP story, uh, Mariah Ballingit, probably mispronouncing that, but something like that, it appears she's not fond, not very fond of the white people. According to her tweets, among them Uh, There are so many grotesque stereotypes about Asian-American women when the only thing many of us have in common is the experience of being demeaned and dehumanized by white men. Okay, another entry. Uh, (laughs) It's a good time to remind people that college athletics is affirmative action for rich white kids, which that one is just plain delusional. Have you ever seen a major college football or basketball team? The idea that those are uh, affirmative action mechanisms for white kids. I I don't think the demographics support that conclusion. There's another one here where she describes uh, a black middle schooler just walked up to her house dressed as white privilege. I see this is Halloween 2019. She was wearing a white, she was wearing white footsie pajamas and was wearing a sign that said white privilege. I gave her extra candy. Well, congratulations. Okay, and then... uh, There's also Mara Gay uh, is is another entry here. And she's over on MSNBC, of course. Mara Gay, as far as I'm aware, no relation to Claudine Gay. But she mostly makes the tired claim that it's all racism that you'd expect. But there are a few interesting wrinkles. Uh, She also says this is about academic freedom. And note who she cites as an obvious racist uh, in this case
2: so this is really an attack on academic freedom it's an attack on uh, people who are pluralists and believe that you should bring people from all over the world together uh, of diverse backgrounds this is an attack on diversity this is an attack on multiculturalism
1: and i think Mm -hmm. that's why these presidents are under attack that's why the Gay was under attack The fact that she's a black woman and the first person uh, who is a a black American to lead Harvard, I don't have to say that they're racist because you can hear and see the racism, the
2: attacks when people like Vivek Ramaswamy say, uh, you know, uh, okay, this is this is a problem about diversity and hiring.
1: Yes. uh, If only it wasn't for that uh, for that Indian on black racism from Vivek Ramaswamy, this all could have been avoided. If only Vivek would shut his racist mouth, then Claudine Gay would still be properly plagiarizing as Harvard's president. On the academic freedom claim, again, just a preposterous characterization. Is theft economic freedom? If your answer is no, then why not? Because it's wrong to take the property of another person. Yeah, well, the same idea applies to ideas or intellectual property in this case. And it in ways it's actually worse because you're with with plagiarism, you're not only a thief, but you're also a fraud in your lie to people um, and you're not the sort of intellect or thinker who should be leading one of America's supposedly foremost thinking institutions. so, uh, the, in the academic context, plagiarism is is a very serious deal, obviously, not just for the theft component of it, but because of the, the fraudulent nature, the misrepresentation to others and the way that you advance yourself at the expense of other people, uh, we're dealing with all sorts of immoralities here. And we're just going to explain this away as though it's as simple as her being a black lady with a short haircut. But I buried the lead here a little bit. The reactions were just too good to delay. I wanted to get right into those. But we should, however, have a solid understanding of what exactly her plagiarism is so that we understand when anyone makes these sort of talking points or denies what she's done, that we can understand how they're simply not looking at the evidence. Now, I mentioned Christopher Rufo; uh, That was one of the uh, that might have been the first uh, break in this case, if I'm not mistaken. But he identified this in December In at least eight separate portions of Claudine Gay's doctoral thesis, Gay closely rephrases writings from six authors. Now, some of these have citations, some of these do not. Uh, According to Harvard's academic guidelines, a citation alone is not necessarily sufficient though. Harvard requires writers to completely rephrase ideas in their own words, which Gay did not do. So a lot of these cases in the doctoral thesis, you're talking about lifting language from another author and even though she cites the author, according to Harvard's own standards, that's not sufficient to uh, to be it's not sufficiently far away from plagiarism. You're not making it your own work sufficiently, according to Harvard's own guidelines. In some of these cases, she directly copied the writing without quotation marks. That's only part of it, because that's how, when they say, oh, she just um, she had some sloppy attribution. That's what they mean. They mean that. Things like she forgot quotation marks, things like she copy and pasted language from someone else's article or book or paper, even though she cited that paper later, it was not sufficiently changed. That's what they mean when they try to soften this. Even if you want to make that argument, well, then you have a new complaint that comes out on Monday with Harvard, and this really appears to be the kill shot not just because of the quantity of the plagiarism, but because of the quality, too. There are numerous other examples of her plagiarism discovered. She has only 17 published works, Claudine Gay. uh, And plagiarism is now alleged in eight of them. So nearly half of all her published works appear to be not even her own work, with at least 50 different examples, 50 different passages. And this latest example is the worst of them. Because even if you want to defend that thesis plagiarism is sloppy attribution, as CNN was saying, missing quotation marks, not rephrasing enough, even though she's citing her sources, that sort of thing, this stuff is definitely no accident. Uh, From the Washington Free Beacon here, in a 2001 article, Gay lifts nearly half a page of material verbatim from another scholar, David Cannon, a political science professor at the University of Wisconsin. At one point, Gay borrows four sentences from Cannon's 1999 book, Race, Redistricting, and Representation, The Unintended Consequences of Black Majority Districts, without quotation marks and only minor semantic tweaks. She does not cite Cannon anywhere in or near the passage, though uh, he does appear in the bibliography. Beyond that, Gay's first two footnotes are copied verbatim from Cannon's endnotes. There are more new examples. Uh, Gay, who works at a quantitative political or works in quantitative political science, lifts a full sentence from her thesis advisor Gary King to describe a mathematical model. She does not cite King in parentheses or put his words in quotation marks. Uh, the rest of the new examples center on a 1996 paper by Frank Gilliam exploring minority empowerment, blah blah blah, that Gay repeatedly quotes without attribution, changing just a few words here and there. And hilariously, one of the authors, these plagiarized authors, David Cannon, the first one I referenced, he apparently, (laughs) he has no problem with this. He says this is just fine. Claudine Gay did nothing wrong. In the story, he was quoted from the Washington Free Beacon. I am not at all concerned about the passages. This isn't even close to an example of academic plagiarism. So fully lifting his sentences, copy pasting them into her work and not citing them, That's nothing close to plagiarism, he says. If that's the case, I'm going to copy and paste his entire book or his entire article or whatever this was, and I am just going to put it to print and uh, cash in, and when he comes at me with some sort of copyright infringement, I'm going to say this is nothing close to academic plagiarism. I have no idea what you're talking about. Sell it for profit. He's giving you the invitation, and that's what's really shameful about this. Granted, I'm making an inference here, but it would appear that this guy cares more about the diversity God, then he does the integrity of his own work, which is a shame on its own but some some takeaways from uh this whole this whole episode uh you have to be one of two things to plagiarize in the internet era: either you are a complete moron or you think that you're untouchable now I'm sure this sort of thing was possible or more possible to get away with back in the day of library books and typewriters. Back then, you actually had to do the hard work of taking a book off the shelf and getting on the typewriter and, and actually retyping someone's someone else's words if you wanted to steal them. You couldn't just do the old copy paste. But these days, why it's especially dangerous if you wanna try this, again, you shouldn't for its own sake, but the danger of getting caught is so high, a simple Google search of your writing Expose you very easily. Automatic automatic plagiarism tech software exists. If you plagiarize, you are either a complete idiot because you don't realize how easy it is to get caught, or you think you are completely untouchable, or both. I'm not sure which is the case for Claudine Gay. Is she a complete idiot? She's certainly not particularly qualified, as we'll get to in a moment. So maybe does she think she's untouchable? Maybe she cited her demographic credentials in her resignation letter, as I'll get to in a moment as well. And this is exactly what this sort of diversity hiring gets you. If you hire someone for reasons other than merit or qualification, what you get is an underqualified person who will underperform in the job and create conflict in that workplace. And it's really not fair to anybody. It's obviously not fair to the organization, You're not putting the best person in a leadership position or any position that you can. It's not fair to the customers, if you're a business operation, or in this case, the students, if you're a school. But the thing is, it's not even fair to the affirmative action beneficiary either. Claudine Gay was not qualified to get this job. She appears to have cheated her way into it. And now she is pointing fingers on the way out. In her resignation letter, she says she is, uh, she's frightened by threats and attacks fueled by racial animus. In reality, of course, racial preference is the only reason that she has this job in the first place. It's the only reason anybody even knows who she is. And that's the irony. The whole thing is just a complete embarrassment for everybody. The school, Claudine Gay, the students, Harvard's reputation, all of it. It does nobody any good to hire the unqualified, not even the unqualified. And you'll see this in the academic context with students, too. There's all sorts of Evidence that when you have affirmative action, action uh, policies and you lower your standards in order to achieve a certain demographic diversity, that those students that you allow in with lower performance, lower test scores, they end up quitting early. They end up leaving the school because they can't sustain in a challenging environment. Is that beneficial to those students to have this opportunity that is beyond their reach? And so they go to a place that is too challenging for them. They end up quitting, potentially lowering their self-esteem, lowering their motive, lowering their drive, you need opportunities that are requisite of your talent. And I'm not saying that to look down on other people. I didn't get into Harvard. If I had applied to Harvard, I wouldn't have got in. I didn't have the academic scores to do it. I didn't have all the fancy, uh, you know, all the, all the stuff that, first of all, I wouldn't have gotten in because I'm white and a man, let's be honest, but my resume was also not, Requisite of getting into Harvard, and that's okay. You know, maybe I get to Harvard and I I'm overmatched there. That's the point. You you need opportunity in which you can thrive. And giving underqualified kids or presidential candidates opportunity at Harvard is not a favor to them. They'll end up overwhelmed and they'll end up in this sort of situation, a failure in that particular particular task, pointing fingers at everybody else and ruining the reputation of the establishment. Other things to consider about this: what what was Harvard's vetting process? Because this this also calls that process into question. Did nobody bother to check her academic work in the way I just described? Does Harvard not do a routine plagiarism screening on candidates? If not, why not? It's possibly the most common academic dishonesty, and it's maybe the easiest to check. And if they did check and they did find these things and they didn't care, that's its own scandal. If Harvard is accepting dishonesty from its president and not its students, well it's a complete fraud of an institution. And I say that like that's really in doubt anymore. It's not. They did graduate David Hogg after all. So maybe I am qualified to go to Harvard. I shouldn't sell myself short like that. Another question, how did Gay get the job? I mentioned Claudine Gay is a diversity hire because that seems like uh, it seems like a pretty clear conclusion that she is. She has only 17 published works, which is hardly anything remarkable. It would seem Harvard selected her for, her for diversity reasons, but is there more to that story? As part of the hiring process, Harvard also interviewed fellow woman of color Danielle Allen, a Harvard political science professor, or government as they called the department at Harvard. Allen, however, did not get past the early round. There's a great Twitter thread from an account called Alice from Queens exploring why. Gay has never published a single book, only papers. Alan is younger and has eight published books. Alan has 50-plus published articles to Gay's 11. Alan has significantly more awards and recognitions. In, uh, In addition to her government PhD from Harvard, which Gay also has, Alan has a PhD in classics from Cambridge as well. That's a second PhD. Allen also has op eds published in major national newspapers. Gay has not or does not have as many. So, if this, if this was simply black chick cred as it would appear to be, well, why was Allen passed over so quickly? Because if we're going black chick, if we're doing the Katanji Brown Jackson or Jumanji Brown Jackson, whichever name you prefer, Allen is clearly the more qualified black chick. So, why was gay selected? inquiring minds want to know and tim i know you dug into this a little bit what have you learned
0: so look this is complete theory on my part because i did dig into it a little bit um but when i looked at uh this other candidate she she does have a history apparently of being a conservative and apparently she became a progressive so i'm wondering if that might have had anything to do with it when you say became Um, how long ago that I'm not 100% sure. I didn't really get a chance to um, properly look into it. But she did run for office in 2022. When I say run for office, sounded like she dropped out maybe before she even had a chance to campaign. I'm not sure. But reading what she was basically campaigning on, it was the progressive talking points. It was basically every social justice issue you possibly could think of. So the only thing I can think is if she has had some conservative background, her father worked under Ronald Reagan, apparently. I don't okay. know what position. What so role. that's why
1: she was disqualified. That would make sense. Well, I'm just
0: yeah. I'm wondering if they looked into her and said, even if she was, because again, this is 2022, Claudine Gay got into the job in 2023. So presumably this other lady had changed her political perspective by then. But I'm just wondering if they did background looking at her and thought, oh, there's some stuff that might come out that we don't necessarily want to have to deal with potentially it's again just a theory i could be completely wrong on that Uh, i don't know how seriously politically she was when she was conservative and you know but yeah
1: well it's too bad claudine gay is not in fact a lesbian because then the answer could have been simply not gay enough for the competitor alan not gay enough yeah there's
0: a there is another point that i just wanted to bring up if i this loads oh damn it I uh, know there was another point I wanted to bring up if I can get the stupid thing to load, but
1: uh, I can come back to it. There's a couple other. Gay. <laughs> f- yeah. actually didn't even. <laughs> did you press that? Button? Sorry. I didn't press yeah. that one. I guess that, that fits, too. That's funny. That's what you Sorry, say to her said, firing.
0: Ha. <laughs> <laughs> gay. You've said that you've said the word gay about 20 times. So I am a giant child. I just had to bring that. I one guess up, that so. does
1: fit. I didn't even think about that. That's, that's yeah. good. Yeah. Uh, okay, well, do you need a second to get to your point? Uh, there's a couple more points I wanted to discuss before I'm finished up here. That
0: was my point. That was oh, me just being that, a John, John.
1: Oh, that was the point. Okay. All right. Thank you for that. I appreciate the comic relief. Uh, the biggest controversy in the story, by the way, may be that Gay is not actually leaving, by the way. She's staying on as a government professor at Harvard with apparently something like a $900,000 salary. Now, the school, as far as I'm aware, hasn't formally punished her yet. Now, she's resigning behind closed door discussions. Maybe that's what they do to allow her to save face instead of firing her from that role. So maybe it's a de facto punishment. But she said her initial plagiarism or they said the school said um, that her initial plagiarism allegations were just sloppy attribution like CNN. So those got, quote unquote, corrections. The school, as far as I've seen, has not yet responded to the new round of plagiarism allegations. So maybe this was just handled in that sort of closed door conversation where the, the story comes out. They all get together. Listen, Claudine, uh, we got this. This isn't going to work. So we would like to offer you the dignity of stepping down yourself if you would do that. And she agreed to do that and says, sure, I will accept nearly a million dollars to go back to the old job that I used to do. And if, if there if any Harvard students listen to this show, which would be shocking to me, but maybe you're the guy. Somebody please take her class next semester, copy and paste one of her papers and turn it in. And what would be even funnier is when she doesn't even notice that it's her paper and she gives it an A. If someone could pull off a troll like that on Claudine Gay, you will be a legend and I will uh, happily uh, publicize that story for you. Tim, get a thought.
0: Well, I mean, even if she look, let's put aside the fact of whether she notices or not. Well, no, actually, let's not. Let's say she does notice. What can you then say to that student? You still so you have exactly, a job yeah. as someone that plagiarized. What are you going to say to the student? I know
1: that, you that person. Can't say, well, that's wrong. That student would be risking their academic career, of course. But Absolutely. yeah, I mean, yeah, in, yeah. In, in the, in the uh, adjudication of that, what, what could they possibly say when Claudine Gay is the teacher? You, you should be protected on principle. But again, much like the uh, immigration case, I, I doubt that principles and rule of law are going to protect you in this case either. But Claudine Gay, by the way, um, you know, if Harvard does fire her, uh, it looks like she has uh, she has some opportunity coming her way. She will be just fine. Her first book is indeed coming out soon. The Three Keys to Success by Claudine Gay. Control C and V. Uh, Credit to grand old memes on Twitter. I certainly wouldn't want to plagiarize their meme work as my own. But that's all I have to say on the Claudine Gay story. Uh, We do have one email question to get to. I do want to remind everyone, if you'd like to send an email question to the show for discussion, um, you can do that through the contact page of my website, mattchristiansandmedia.com slash contact. Look for the MC Hour question box. That's where we receive these things. And we have one left over from last week from Halo with Horns. So Halo with Horns, thanks for your patience. And uh, do you want to read the question, Tim?
0: Yeah, so Hello with Horns has got a question slash comment. Why is dual citizenship a thing? The issue of loyalty is questionable, and I believe there should be a law preventing it.
1: Dual citizenship, of course, uh, as the name says, being a citizen in, in two countries at once, just to make sure we're talking about the same thing here. And it's not something I've researched or thought a lot about. My initial reaction is skeptical for the same reason. If you think of your country like a team, You kind of have to pick a team, don't you? You can't really play for multiple teams at once. It would seem especially abusive in the context of voting, you know, like mere presence part time in this country for part of the year in that country for part of the year. That's, I suppose, not necessarily a problem. But if you're voting and you're voting with the interest of another country in mind, that would appear to be a major problem. Uh, How can you vote for political leadership in multiple countries at once or vote in one country with the idea of promoting another with that vote? That seems to create an inherent conflict of interest. So that would be my number one problem with it is is how do you know where the loyalty lies in the vote in particular? I, I didn't know how common this policy is. The United States does offer dual citizenship. It is reasonably common, more common in the West. My sources say about half the countries in the world have some form of dual citizenship. So I thought, well, if this doesn't make sense at first glance, what am I missing? Why is dual citizenship a thing, as Halo with Horns asked? The reasons that I saw when I was looking into this, most of them are either individual benefits or economic benefits, as in the individual dual citizen can travel easier find better health care or education opportunities easier, lower tax burden easier. What benefit does it have for the actual country though? Those are the economic reasons. Dual citizenship allows business activity across countries. So if there's someone with a big business and a lot of money to invest and create a lot of opportunity with that money, well, they'd have an easier time. It'd be more more quick uh, if they hold uh, citizenship in both places potentially. Now, personally, I don't, I don't think the benefit of the cash flow outweighs the danger of foreign influence gaining control in your country. But that would be the primary reason that I see in people when people are arguing in favor of it. It's economic benefit type arguments. Now, even if I could be concerned uh, or even if I could be um, persuaded on the economic reasons, I think the biggest area in which it ought to be prohibited is for politicians. Like let's you make an argument that maybe you should have dual citizenship for just citizens. But if you're a politician serving in government, you cannot hold dual citizenship. That seems to make sense to me too. If you serve in public office in this country, from school board to president, I don't care how small or how significant this office is, you must have singular allegiance to this country and its constitution. If politicians are making decisions based on foreign considerations and not American considerations, well, that is, of course, a major problem. So I'd be especially skeptical in the politician context. Uh, but that, that would be my answer. Thanks for the question on that. It's not something I've put a lot of research or thought into, but obviously it's an important topic. So I appreciate it. And uh, one more reminder, if you'd like to send an email question, head on over to my website, madchristiansenmedia.com. Look for the contact page in the navigation. Use the box that says MC our questions. That is where I take questions for discussion on the show. And I know uh, YouTube Super Chat is out, as I mentioned. I think we're good on Rumble. I actually don't see any Rumble chats. Do you, Tim?
0: no no I'm looking I'm not seeing any loaded up I have been watching the rumble chats and haven't seen any pop up in the chat itself so no
1: all right so I think we're good then we are all set to call it a show uh, thanks for tuning in tonight if you missed any part of the show or you would like more to listen to there's much more content over on my website mattchristiansonmedia.com you can catch all my videos you can catch my other stream on Sunday nights uh, plenty to listen to over there if you're new to the Tenet Media channel a like and a subscriber, much appreciated as well. We'll be back each and every Wednesday night at 9 Eastern. Of course, we thank our guest tonight, Taylor Hansen as well. This has been the Matt Christensen Hour on Tenet Media.